When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I realized that I hate Steve Gutenberg. <gasps> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Lena Crow. Lena Crow is the author of the short story collection I'm Fine, But You Appear to Be Sinking, which was a Believer Book Award finalist. Her new book is Fire Season, out now, and her next book is Sinkhole and Other Inexplicable Voids, a short story collection forthcoming from Viking in 2023-ish. Uh, she lives in Spokane, Washington with her husband and two children, and I believe an elderly dog? True story, yeah. How old is your dog? He's 13. Oh. I got a 13. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. I have a 12-year-old dog. What oh, kind of a, dog is a, it? He's a husky mix. And oh, he's, man. He's just furniture at this point. What kind do you guys have? Oh, God. A lunatic terrier that you would think <laughs> is like three months old if you met him. <laughs> Good for that terrier. Still going strong. Yeah. That, that dog's going to live forever. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Mine is a like a pit bull bat spider mix. Mm. <laughs> Although lately she's looked more like a river otter, so I, I huh. her nickname wow. is R- River Otter or Riviot. Um, she's also nickname. just a couch pillow. Love her, love her very much. Okay, Lena, I absolutely loved Fire Season. Yes. Um, I want to hear you read from it, but before you do, would you mind giving like a brief, hey, this is what my book's about for people who haven't read it. Yeah, for sure. Um, So Fire Season is uh, historical fiction um, married with magical realism. It's set in 1889 in um, Washington Territory in Spokane. Um, And in that year, like for reals, uh, there was a big fire that decimated downtown. And in the novel, it's about three characters who use the chaos of the fire to sort of reinvent themselves, mostly through crimes. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters has magical abilities um, that aid her in her pursuits. I mean, at first they're a hindrance, but then she's like, I will use my powers, and she does. Perfect, thank you so much. Right on, I'll just give no context. I think that's best. I like best. it, I like it. Barton was 14 the first time he had sex. The woman was older than him, a friend of his parents and a widow, or maybe not a widow maybe just a woman who did not like her husband much and never brought him to parties. That's where it was, a party at the Haydale home, thrown by Barton's father, who, though Barton found him terribly unlikable, always had and always would, was popular among his own peers and even regarded as jovial and entertaining. The party was dull. Barton was drunk off alcohol. He'd been sneaking from the guests' glasses when they abandoned them. The maybe widow also looked drunk, 
She was sitting alone and Barton got the idea she'd rather do anything than be alone at a party. He approached her and said in what he thought was a suave way that he found her to have an exotic air about her. And he wondered if she would like to join him someplace private for a more intimate conversation. In hindsight, Barton could not recall what made him think this was a good strategy for seduction. He might have read it in a book or heard another boy tell a story where he claimed to have used such a line. More likely, it was something he'd misheard or misread, morphed and shaped in his teenage brain into a notion that seemed to him both original and clever, or at least plausible. But as soon as he said this, the maybe widow began laughing. She laughed so hard and for so long, Barton turned to leave. She clasped him by the elbow to keep him in place, then laughed some more. Then, as abruptly as she'd started, she stopped and said, all right, where should we go? He led her with a sweaty hand to his father's study, which was on the opposite end of the house and where no other party guests would venture. Once there, the maybe widow sat in his father's chair. We're here, she said. What, now what do you want to do? Barton, flustered by the success of his plan, admitted he didn't know. Come on then and I'll show you, the maybe widow said, and she did. In the days following the party, Barton existed as if in a dream. In his memory of this time, there was no school, no work at his father's downtown office, no dour family dinners, though surely he must have continued with these things as normal. There was only the constant reliving of his minutes in the study with the maybe widow. He did not see this preoccupation as a problem. His conquest had been tremendous, and he felt he'd earned the right to obsess over it. Besides, what else in his life was as interesting or as pleasurable even by half? He dwelled, revisiting the details, revising the scene, replaying and reconstructing until it was perfect in his mind. His erection was nearly constant. He became certain if he knew where the maybe widow lived, he would go to her home and break down her door in demand of more lovemaking. Instead, he found a moment alone with his father to ask when there might be another party. Mr. Haydale was occupied in some way, as always, only giving his son half attention. Another party? Why? So you can fuck Mrs. McCall again? Barton had never heard his father say fuck before, had never heard him mention sex in any way. I didn't, he said, already a liar even as a child. Yes, you did. I know what goes on in my own home. Barton said nothing to this, but for the first time in many days, he felt himself fully and immediately unaroused. Mr. Haydale set aside his papers. The thing you must know about sex is, he began. Barton shoved his hands in his pockets and braced himself for diatribe. Sin, he thought the older man might say, though they were not a religious family, or dangerous or improper. The thing you must know about sex is, Mr. Haydale said, that it's everything. Barton looked up, thinking finally, 14 years into his relationship with his father, he was being told something honest, something real. What I mean is, the senior Haydale continued, for a man like you, it's everything, to a weak man. Sex consumes a weak man. He can't see any life outside it. I only hoped you might wait a while before you threw yourself into that pit, but now here you are. I don't even like her, Barton lied again. It doesn't matter if you like them, his father said. But what about love? Barton asked. His father laughed and told him there was no such thing. Love was only an illusion, again, belonging to weak men. Later, Barton would wish he'd asked what this meant about his father's feelings towards his mother, but he was pretty sure he got the picture regardless. And what is sex for strong men? Barton asked. It's whatever they want.
Then his father went back to his work, signaling the conversation was over. Spartan decided he did not agree with what his father had said about love. Love was real and not just for the weak. As for being called weak by his dad, well, that was fine. Almost all his father's advice came with insults. But it was the notion of strong men making sex into whatever they wanted that lodged most prominently into his teenage mind. I'll stop there. Thank you so much. I um I love Barton. <laughs> <laughs> I really love him, even That's though a hot take. A I hot know. Take <laughs> <laughs> I know he's pathetic and um, you know, I don't know. I just felt for him. Um, and I think like, then there's a moment where it comes up, you know, I sort of found myself coming to this realization that I love him because of the patriarchy, (laughs) 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 which was also like a delightful realization. (laughs) It's like such a, like a womanly thing to just be like, Oh, you know, this poor man, Mm -hmm. but he's also trying to control Rosalind. Who's one of the other characters, you know? And, um, anyway, I, I, it speaks to the layers um, of each character and um, the way that they're uh, knowable, but also unknowable, um, which I think also leads to my first question to you, which is um, the structure feels like, like a riddle, um, but like a, like a satisfy, like a rare satisfying type of riddle. Um, because there's these interludes, right? There's, um, you know, the way that the book opens and then, um, you know, it's these stories about these women and their special abilities. And then these men who, you know, are like you said, like thieves and, and then how they all come together and sort of what it means in general. Um, and I just wanted to know how the structure came to you, you know, was it always coming to you in that way? Or is it something that as you were writing became clear? Yeah, um, so it actually originally started out just as a, a long short story or a novella, and it was uh-huh. really just Barton's perspective. And I got to the end of sort of his arc and found that it was very unsatisfying um, for what I think what I think is fairly obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but then I was like, what else could this do? And once I started thinking about adding other perspectives and other characters, then I was like, oh, I think this could be a novel. So that was really the genesis of it, sort of becoming a novel was thinking about these other people who could could sort of continue on with Barton's story. And I feel like almost immediately, it felt like, well, I would just stack them on top of each other. And I think mm-hmm. it was because I'd already written the Barton section. And so I never had the inclination to break it up as multiple POV stories are, I was just like, well, that's the first act. The second act is the next guy. The third act will be, will be Rosalind. Um, so that's been with the book all the way through. And, but there were times when I kind of was like, man, super not sure about it because there aren't many, there aren't that many examples out there of it in comparison to books who do the more, you know, hopping back and forth between mm-hmm. multiple POVs um, as the narrative progresses. Uh, but I always felt that, that that was the shape I wanted to have the novel be in. And because I did, I wanted those like those reveals of like where you get, you know, other characters dipping sort of back into what you've already known, but from a different way. And particularly with with Roslyn, um, you know, because she she plays such a role in Barton's perspective, but you're so locked in Barton that you can't ever really see what she's doing. 
um, for her then to emerge in the end and you get to be like, oh, that's what was up. (laughs) (laughs) Did the drafting of Fire Season Lana, were you agented the whole time? Was it something that you were working on with an agent before Viking picked it up? What, because just the fact that you had a shape in mind is interesting to me. Um, just based on your publishing history, because obviously publishing with Featherproof is a different editorial experience than publishing with Viking. It's yeah. a different kind of editor you're working with. It's different kinds of expectations, more people you're dealing with, with Viking. What I'm so curious to hear just like what that whole experience was like. Yeah, for sure. Um, so fire season was my, you know, it's my first novel and it's really my first it's not my first attempt at a novel. I've started other manuscripts, but this was my first, like I finished a manuscript. Right. (laughs) Um, I started working on it in 2015. So before my first collection um, with Featherproof even came out, you know, I I sort of had this in, in the works. Um, And really, you know, my path was, I, I was like, so I didn't have an agent. So, you know, I, I just worked independently with, with Featherproof as I think most writers do when they have their first book come out, you know, Mm -hmm. with a, an indie press. Um, so I was like, well, I'm going to finish the manuscript. I'm going to take it as far as I can go. And then I'll, I'll try and get an agent. And, um, that's what, what I did attempt to do. And I spent a long time, you know, revising and getting very nice feedback from, from agents and then also from contests and from open submissions at, at publishers and just, but just really not having, um, any success with it. I don't remember ultimately how many agents I queried over the years, um, but it's possibly above a hundred. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah. And then um, in the summer of 2020, I had a short story that was um, optioned by, by universal um, called sinkhole. Um, It's the story of the next collection. And as a result of that, there was kind of a lot of press about the sale of that story. How did um, that happen? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us your ways. Uh, yeah. I mean, Sinkhole is its own just lightning strike of luck. It was this story that I had written around the same time that I started Fire Season, 2015. Um, it's a, a six-page story that was in a local publication and then in Moss, which is a Pacific Northwest journal. Mm-hmm. And then the editor of Moss um, was trying to kind of have like a Hollywood career. I mean, I think he, he still, he still is. We're not really in touch, but he was wondering if he could take material that he had published in Moss and try and, and get studios interested in it. And so he had contacted me about Sinkhole and I was um, certainly like, yeah, you know, go for it. Thinking that I was never going to hear from this guy again. Right. Um, but actually he was, was successful uh, in that and um, generated quite a bit of interest around it. And like, there was like a bidding war and oh my gosh. a lot of famous people. <gasps> um, and it was like crazy from crazy town for this tiny little story that again, I didn't think that had a life so outside of, crazy. you know, th- these magazine publications. Um, and so after the option was, was purchased, yeah, then there was this press, you know, about this story. And then a number of agents contacted me and they were like, Hey, read your story. Congratulations. Loved it. What else do you have? And even some agents who I had queried, like kind of came back and were like, I remember, I remember you. I remember your book fire season wanted to check oh. in of representation. Oh. And I was like, very politely 
no, go away. (laughs) But I wound up with a really excellent agent um, who wound up like right away, you know, I spoke to her and she was interested in like, you know, the kind of work that I do, like kind of fabulous um, magical realism genre stuff. Like we talked, like, I feel like we talked just for a really long time about Shirley Jackson. And I was like, this is the person I want to work with. (laughs) Um, Well, she's great. Her name's Sarah. Um, And she uh, was, yeah, very enthusiastic about fire season. I signed with her, did a couple, one or two rounds of revision with her um, before she sent it out. And then very quickly uh, Viking um, expressed interest. And um, it's been, it's been great. They've been great to work with. And yeah, it is, you know, it's such a, a much more complicated machine than Featherproof. Um, but both were like, they've both been such good experiences. And I feel like I'm like the rare author who had a really amazing indie press experience and then has gone on to have a really amazing, like big five publishing experience. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know so many people who like had like one or the other, but then like one was like, they were like, that's not what I wanted. But mainly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> lucky with both um and then yeah i'm feeling really good about getting to work with viking again for for the second story collection be uh before we move on from any uh indie indie press stories do you have any good zach dodson stories oh you know i i I only have one i know you guys i listened to you guys's interview with zach um and i loved it because i don't really know him he was gone by the time featherproof published i'm fine to appear to be thinking was it Tim or was it after Tim too? It was, it was uh, Tim and Jason. Okay. Um, Jason, I know from grad school. Um, oh, and so cool. he was the one like who I primarily worked with because he had been such a champion of, you know, he's really like the one who, who shepherded the book all the way through. Um, but yeah, Tim was, was there still at the time as well. He's great. But Zach, um, when we were trying to figure out the cover art for I'm fine, uh, Jason had sent me a bunch of sort of like examples of stuff. And he was like, Hey, like, let me know if you see anything in here. That's like, here's some stuff I like. If you see anything that's interesting, we'll work, we'll reach out to these artists. And I had picked something that was like this artist who did these things with like weird astronauts. Um, Cause there's like this astronaut story that goes all the way through the collection. And when Jason reached out to the artist, the artist said, no, and we were all very surprised by that Um, and then like why why did they say no i i don't know i don't know i wasn't part of the conversation but they said no and um zach was was part of this discussion and he was sort of like fuck it we'll figure it out Um, (laughs) that's zach (laughs) so like he wound up doing the the cover art he's the best yeah and it's it's so great it's so much better than it's an amazing cover i mean yeah for those listening if you haven't seen it go to featherproof site i'm fine but you appear to be sinking you have to see the cover of this book so good it's so good and like i feel like it's the sole reason the book sells like people sell see the cover and they're like ha ha okay it's great buy this book (laughs) i don't know how he 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 never runs out of ideas like no, he's such a talented designer. He he's is. amazing. He came up with the logo for my sister's salon in Asheville. <laughs> I just came awesome. to him and I was like, she has like these lame mock-ups that suck. And he was like, <laughs> oh, we can do better than that. And he, and her logo, it's been like, I don't know, like seven years now. It's been on the front of the salon and it's all 
Zach's doing. He emailed us our logo. He just did it. We didn't yeah. even ask. Yeah, we were like, wow. uh, do you have he just time? did it. It was like, yeah, you guys' logo is awesome. I've been meaning to get a T-shirt. You guys sell T-shirts, don't you? Yeah, for sure. We do. We'll we do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Zach's much. the best. We love you, Zach. <laughs> we love you, Zach. Yeah, mm-hmm. seriously. Uh, and people should support Featherproof because there's just nobody like them. Um, any book that you choose, you can definitely always judge a book by its cover <laughs> at Featherproof <laughs> because true. they're true. Their taste in authors is so unparalleled like you can't go wrong so buy lots of things from featherproof yeah and i would say that like i mean like daddy's is such an amazingly designed book where it opens like the like the box the tackle box yeah yeah. i know that and that was um me and zach just like originally we were gonna make um we were gonna make little uh cigarette boxes and each story was gonna be rolled up like a cigarette oh my gosh and uh, he even like mocked it up. We, I have, oh I still God. have a cigarette story. Like Do I you? keep it in my drawer. Yeah. Oh, um, but then like some other uh, publishing company was making um, like a bigger publishing company was making books that looked like cigarette boxes. So we abandoned that. Marvel. And then. That's funny that that's the reason you couldn't do it. Aside from <laughs> yeah, right. I know. <laughs> now, like. <laughs> You know, 10 years later, I'm like, I would never be like, yeah, it should look like cigarettes. <laughs> but back then I was like, oh, yeah, punk rock. You know. Well, so is um, Sinkhole being made? Um, I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's the, the funny thing about the, this, about stories being optioned, you know, is that unless you have a contract that writes you into the process, it leaves you entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that uh, the, the option is going to expire next month. Um, oh, wow. So I, I think I'll learn something then, whether or not they renew the option <laughs> will be telling. Wow. Do they have to pay you again if they renew? Yeah, it's actually kind of ideal. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to for you. that option run all the way yes. through. <laughs> I remember the news. I remember, I think I saw it. I must have seen it on Twitter or something when you announced that it had been optioned. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> It, it made me feel very cool like of all of that and, and um yeah 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 that's like hell yeah <laughs> and so that book um that that story is going to be in is coming out next year on viking it, was it um was it like a two book deal that you made yeah, yeah. okay was it because you told them like yes i have fire season but i also or did you tell them like but i also want to write another collection or um, yeah, I think, you know, that was part of the, the conversation was that because Sinkhole was kind of a, you know, with the possibility of there being a movie, that if I had, you know, stories that could be, could be sellable as well. And um, so, so yeah, it was fire season and then the collection, but it was only like half of a collection, which mm. is stressful. That's oh uncharted God, yeah. territory for me. I've not had the experience of selling half a book and then having to write the other half before um so yeah i've been trying to you know uh like just like writing stories writing stories writing stories and then in october i'm going to show them to my editor and be like, <laughs> i just have no idea like i can't see the forest for the trees at this point there's part of me that's like this is pretty good and there's part of me that's like this is a dumpster fire yeah <laughs> i don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> when i sold don't kiss me to fsg um it was like probably 30,000 words. It was, it was really okay. so small. So you had this experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, cause I was thinking it was going to be on a small press again and FSG bought it. And, and so, um, Emily Bell, my editor was like, you probably need to add like, like 
15 to 20,000 words. And mm-hmm. I was like, can't Double we this. just, I was like, can't we just like take some stories from daddies and put them in there? <laughs> I want to move on with my life. But no, they were like, my oh agent my was God. like, no, no, you need to, you need to write some new stories. And it was a really weird feeling because that's not how I was writing stories. I was writing them because I had an idea or like a feeling and then to be like, okay, now I got to like fill, like make some filler for a book. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was scary. It was like, well, it's just exactly like you're saying. It's like, what if, what if this is just bullshit, you know, that I'm <laughs> just pages that I'm generating. But then like in hindsight, like now that you have some distance, do you look back at it and feel like, do you feel good about all of it? Or do you, do you still feel like there are pieces that were shoehorned in because you have no, to write No, them? I definitely feel good. Cause I, okay. the good news is your editor will always tell you like, cause I had, I actually had generated more than that and sent her like everything I had. And she was like, no, not this one. No, not that, you know? So she like, <laughs> yeah, she helped me really, you know, they'll be honest with you about like, this is bullshit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I've been trying to do is like have more than, than I need for a collection. And that's what I thought I was doing. And then I looked at like word count recently and I was like, well, I haven't written as much as I thought I did, but there's <laughs> still time. Oh God. Word count. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there. it's always there. <laughs> yeah. Cause you think you're like, I wrote a bunch of stories and then you're like a bunch of them are four pages long. Okay. I know. <laughs> do you have a first reader lana do you have someone that you turn to with stuff that's still pretty fresh or do you do. typically just wait oh who do you have yeah no i know i have a, a a few people actually um who read for me pretty regularly and i'm so grateful for it um so when when i was working on on fire season i was actually part of a writing workshop that met once a month and cool. the workshop was kind enough to workshop my whole novel holy Whoa. christ yeah in like a like pretty early form too um, so that was tremendously helpful. And then that group is no longer together, but they had been readers for a number of the stories that'll be in this collection. And then now I have um, a couple of people from, from grad school and then just local writers and then a couple yes. people who I just know from other places who I'll, I'll just send things to when I, I need another set of eyes. Because um, I do find that like, yeah, super valuable, especially when I'm just like, I don't know, I don't know what I don't know at this point, you right. know? Yeah, like when you were sending them your your workshop group fire season, were you asking for specific feedback or were you just kind of like, tell me what this is? That's a good question. I don't remember at this mm. point. I think I might have had like some broad questions mm-hmm. um, that I that I sent and then was just like maybe just like give me general thoughts. Cause yeah, it was really early. It was like it was very first draft-ish. Um, so I think I was just looking for like, what, what massively works and doesn't work. <laughs> you find yes. yourself reacting to feedback or editorial ideas differently over time, or do, do you feel like it's, you're receiving it different now than you did earlier on in your writing career? That's a good question. This is why I like talking to writers like, <laughs> good writer questions um I don't think so so I had the good fortune of um before I started writing fiction like seriously with the intention of publication I worked for a few years in journalism oh wow and I feel like working in journalism stripped me of any um like preciousness mm-hmm. about my own writing mm. because you get 
quickly and you have to make use of it so quickly, like there, you, you don't get to feel anything about it. And so when I then went to grad school and was then in a position of people talking about my fiction, um, you know, I would like be in workshop with friends and they would like get feedback and just be like crushed by it or elated by it. And I'd be like, I feel nothing. It's fine. I feel nothing. <laughs> um, and so that was a, it was a really useful, I think, thing. And so even now, you know, um, yeah, unless I think unless somebody says something that's just like cruel, but I don't send work to people who say things that are cruel. <laughs> um, yeah, it's sort of always been the same of like, yeah, that's some stuff some stuff I can do or some stuff I cannot do. Right. It's all right. And I'm grateful for that though, because I do, I know a lot of people who, who struggle to, to hear feedback, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I have, I have close friends who are writers who and successful writers who can't read reviews, positive or negative, right. um, because it just sends them spinning. Um, and I just like, don't, I don't feel that way. <laughs> so the, I feel like, cause I'm, um, I have a hard time with all of that myself. And I feel like because in the moment when I'm writing, there's like, uh, um, there's whatever it is, right. Like that, that, like, that, like meanness, meanness, you know, mm, like, um, yeah. that feels like private or, uh, like vulnerable, but since yeah. you have that background in journalism, that like turned you into a, a writing machine. Do you feel like <laughs> when you're in the moment and you're writing these things, um, you know, cause that, that scene you read the Barton scene where his dad is basically like, you're a loser. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an emotional scene. You know, it's, um, it's poignant. It's sad. It's um, you know, it's telling what are you, are you vulnerable as you're writing or are you, are you able to be more objective in that moment? Oh man. Um, I don't think I'm objective for sure. Like I definitely am not seeing the things that I'm writing clearly, but I, I also don't think I feel very vulnerable about Mm. it. Mm -hmm. I think that I mostly write from a place of entertaining myself. Um, I don't, yeah, I rarely put things on the page that, that make me Man, I might just be dead inside. I was gonna no, say like I don't put things on the page that make me feel all that much. No, it just it's sounds like you're. Like it just sounds like you're an adult and you're professional, and I can't relate. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but like I don't know. Even that, yeah, that scene I read. You're right. Like it's very like it's sad. Like, but I feel like as I was writing it, I was like, <laughs> boner. <Yeah. laughs> That's all He's like, got an erection. Yeah. So I might be just the full opposite. It's not professional. It's just somebody who stumbles. I'm just somebody who stumbles into empathy accidentally on my way to dick jokes. Okay. It sounds like you're Beavis and I'm butthead. (laughs) I think that's the difference. (laughs) Yeah. There we go. (laughs) Well, so this book just came out days ago. Yeah. Tuesday. How, how are you feeling? Did you celebrate? Yeah. um, Yeah. It was nice. We had a I had a launch event here in town, um, and uh, and then afterwards we had a little party in uh, in my backyard. Um, I had uh, I don't I don't I don't dislike reading in front of people, but I don't love being the center of attention. So mm-hmm. I have a bunch of friends who are poets who I invited to come read poetry at like so like I'd read a little bit from the book and then the oh they'll take that read. attention right away from you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys should come over. Do you want to do events for me? One or, one or both of you could pretend to be I'm sure nobody would notice. <laughs> um, 
So, so then, yeah, all the poets and some other friends came over and, um, and had a nice, uh, my, my husband attempted to make mud drink. Um, <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. Which at first I was horrified. I was like, what did you put in this? Yeah. What did he put in there? Yeah. But really all he was going for was the color. Um, okay. So he was uh, Irish cream, Kahlua and vodka. Yum. Uh, That'll work. I, yeah. Oh, it worked. Oof. I, <sighs> yeah. That would definitely have a mud drink effect on me. I would be asleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was out pretty, pretty quick. Um, <laughs> and then it's just like still sitting in our fridge and I'm like, that's, there's no way that can still be, he drank some of it last night. I was like, I don't know that anybody should still be drinking the mud drink. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll find out soon enough. <laughs> yeah. They say eight days, so he's still okay. Oh, okay. Is that the rule? On yeah. The- yeah. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. We have some. Well, so how does it feel to have your first novel out? Oh, disorienting. Yeah. Like when I see like press about it and like I see like my author photo or the cover of the book, um, my first assumption is that I'm dead. Oh, like, yeah. Like I keep thinking it's like an obituary. Um, oh, yeah. And then uh, so like I knew like people have been telling me that they pre-ordered it and like that's so nice. And then in the last few days, friends have been like texting me like, you know, like started reading the book like this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, it didn't occur to me that people would be reading it. I thought it was just like a decorative thing they were going to keep in their homes. Um, right. It's like, it's, it was yours. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's yeah, the world's. Just been like me, like with this book for so long. Yeah. Know, are those normal, normal feelings? I don't know. Oh yeah. Totally normal. It's, 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 um, that's why I asked you if you celebrate it. Cause I feel like, uh, I too quickly descend into the like mind fuckery of it and forget that I should be like really excited you know and happy about it you know that it's that it's like a really good thing you know yeah so it's good that you that you did that yeah it felt it felt nice it felt like maybe the first thing we've celebrated in a long time yeah like I've been very mired in like I have two little kids and we don't have childcare for our youngest. Um, so he's just with me all the time. And then we were in like Same. pandemic life for just like a really long time. And so things kept happening and just, we just like weren't acknowledging them. Mm-hmm. Then like this week, like, yeah, like I got to celebrate the book coming out. And then my son turned two on Thursday and like- Oh, awesome. Yeah, well, same age as my daughter, party. awesome. Oh yeah, little, little guys. Um, yeah, we had a, a birthday party for him this afternoon. And it was like- <gasps> Oh my um, God. Yeah, had people in the backyard, and that felt, you know, really to have like two backyard parties and normalness, week. right? Yeah, like we were people doing normal things, celebrating the things we should celebrate. It's nice. What's uh, what's his thing? What's he's in? What's he into? Was the party themed, or was it like? <laughs> um, no, I didn't have a, a theme aside from like like all like uh, water. We just like put up. No, a that's the way to go. Yeah, like thing that shoots water everywhere. Awesome. Yeah. Table. Um, he spent the whole time though, uh, he's obsessed with if there's a cooler, like mm-hmm. he wants to un- like open the cooler and take everything out and then you give everything back to him and he puts it back in the cooler. So he spent <laughs> literally like an hour of his own birthday party, just like <laughs> taking the beers out of the cooler, taking them around. Like he's kind of like a little like, like, you know, the dude who's the head of the frat who wants everybody <laughs> to drink. He's just wandering around with beers. <laughs> Sounds like an awesome hang, honestly. Oh, what a He's sweetheart. a good dude. Yeah, yeah. That's, so sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I would love to hear like 
to bring it back to the book, the writing of the book, um, what kind of research you were doing, if any, or was it sort of like a, like a germinating inspiration and then you just went from there or were you like tapping into research too? Yeah, all of the above, mm. I guess. Um, so the, like, the starting point for it was, um, like, shortly after I finished grad school, I spent a summer working as a tour guide. Uh, like, it was actually like a food tour. So, like, tourists would meet, um, people would sign up for this tour, and we'd meet in downtown Spokane, and then I'd, like, take them to different restaurants, and they'd get to, like, sample, like, like, here's some sushi here's like a cupcake whatever <laughs> um but also like you tell them like stuff about the town and so it always started and I didn't write the script obviously I was just you know one of the the team of tour guides but I always started with like a little bit of history of Spokane and the first big historical thing that happened in Spokane was this fire um in 1889 and so I told the story of the great fire of 1889 over and over and over and over like every day for the summer and the fascinating thing about it is like we know where it started we know when it started we know what happened after but nobody knows there's no historical record of how it started like that is an unknown fact hmm. and I thought that that was like kind of a cool open door to walk through like it was almost like a like low stakes entry to writing historical fiction it was like well if nobody knows what's right I can say anything mm -hmm. um so I started playing around with the yeah the story at the time that summer and kind of just with the information that I had and the other kind of fascinating thing um is like in 1889 Washington territory was on the cusp of gaining statehood and three other cities downtowns burned that same summer um, and so all of that, I felt just made this like really interesting background. And so that was stuff that I just knew and was kind of just going from there. But then I did do quite a bit of research. Um, I was working like for a period of time for uh, community college. And so I got to use like their like the historical databases, you know, and downtown Spokane, the library has this place called the Northwest Room where you just go in and you're like, I'd like to know about the history of this. And like, this hundred year old lady brings you like all the historical documents from the town. Um, so that was pretty useful too. That's awesome. But also like, I'm not an organized researcher or a historian. Um, so there's a lot of me just Googling things and being like, when did electricity happen? <laughs> <laughs> what, how much was a dollar worth? <laughs> Are cars yet? Like, I just didn't know. And it's been so long since I did most of the research that at this point, there are things in the book that I don't know if they're real historical things I looked up or if I made them up. Um, can't totally tell you anymore. <laughs> so, so I will say, like, I am, I'm proud of myself for what I undertook to research it, to get the setting right, to get the details right. But I'm also honest about the fact that it's not something that should be taken as a... Uh, uh, my friend Sharma Shields, who's a really awesome author, and you guys should read her novels if you haven't. Um, I, I have read um, one of her books. Did you read the Cassandra? Uh, I can't remember. The, like the nuclear power plant um, or the, um, the atom bomb. I don't think it was. I'm gonna no, have to Sasquatch it Hunter. It's a Sasquatch. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
right. She, she's awesome. She coined like, uh, I'm fine, but you appear to be sinking. She calls it like, it's not science fiction, it's fiction science. Oh. Kind of what I about, feel about fire season is that it's not historical fiction, it's fiction history. Yeah, kind of, kind of taking a lot of liberties. I love that. I think that's, you know, what's more fun than that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Bending it to, to make more sense, right? Like (laughs) reality does. Weird. History is super weird and we're so detached from it. And people think they know what things were like, but nobody really does. So yeah, you might as well like have some fun with it. Because I don't think people are, you know, from like 140 years out from something. I don't think we really understand what people's lives were like back then. So why pretend like we do? No. And I like, we take our kids to the MSI here. Um, and there's this, this thing that you can walk through that eventually leads you to sue the T-Rex. But it starts with the start of Earth, which was, you know, over 4 billion years ago. And as you traverse, there's no humans, there's no humans, there's no humans, there's no humans, there's no humans. <laughs> and humans are like, I don't know, we've been like humanoids have been on earth for what, like 200,000 years. That's it. You know? And then like, you look at, <laughs> I don't know what kind of drugs I'm on tonight, guys, but like, I'm on another, <laughs> now I'm going to start talking <laughs> about the, that picture of all the galaxies that are out there. It just feels Keep like- going. Go deeper. What? What even is history? What does? What does it matter? <laughs> I don't know. But um, you guys, this is all pretty uncomfortable because I don't believe in evolution or the Big Bang. So. Uh, oh. Yeah. I don't want <laughs> okay. Oh, no, I'm shit. kidding. <laughs> like you live in Spokane and you don't believe in that shit. <laughs> this is a great Fuck. place to not believe in that shit. You can, Spokane, you can believe whatever you want. Yeah, yeah no, I have. You can because nothing matters. Nothing matters. <laughs> like aliens started the fire of Spokane. Yeah, could be. <laughs> That's as valid an answer as anything. Right. That's the novel I'm going to write next. Yeah. No, no, I'm kidding. Very keen on on evolution and historical accuracy. My daughter. Let the record show. Yeah, let's just put this down. I don't want to get canceled, you guys, for not believing in in evolution. I will ask that LitHub when they post about this, put that as their headline that you don't believe in evolution, just because we need the clicks. It'd be like flat earther like the crow right? yeah historical fiction oh i would read that it would be right? so exciting if if this whole conversation just completely turned and you you actually were like a flat earther or something oh, that would be thrilling we should have planned that a lot of books i know yeah I if know. you have any interviews in the future work that in just lean yeah. in lean into it that's a good idea i feel like that there was this I have some friends who publish novels and maybe like, I don't know, did any of you guys, did either of you have this experience with your books of being really pressured to by your publishers to be like on social media or like, like promoting your own books at all? Thankfully, like the last time I had a book come out was in 2017 and like everyone was dead inside because it was only a year into the Trump presidency. Um, And, and so no, I never, and I also think like it wasn't a thing to expect authors to be influencers back then, even though it was recent. It feels oh, interesting, yeah. Relatively recent, right? Like, it was only five years ago, but Instagram was different in 2017. In 2017, totally. it was still pictures. It was still yeah, just so like, nice. yeah, it was still like whatever. This is like my buddy. 
and me at the bar and our like children. There were, like at there the were bar. definitely influencers, but I don't think it was like I don't think it had hit like no authors influencers. No, that's no. interesting. I felt I was gonna. I felt like maybe it was the opposite because, like, I was not pressured at all, but I had been expecting to be. But then I was, mm. then, like, Viking was like, "No, no, no!" Like, we see you're not on really on social media. Like, we got it. And I was wondering if we've hit a moment where there's more likelihood that I would do damage than good. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, like if somebody who's not on social media is suddenly out there trying to do it, they're like, "Oh, but might you might accidentally do white supremacy?" So maybe do <laughs> anything. <laughs> you know what that's yeah you're probably right they're probably just like (laughs) listen you're not here this isn't your space just stay home Mm -hmm. put your phone in a box maybe they're realizing because i think i mean i really do think they're realizing it doesn't really matter like it it Mm -hmm. doesn't really have an effect on it doesn't matter sales at all no the tweets and the the posts are like for your buddies and like for you Mm -hmm. to feel good about yourself and have like a fun day but which is fine. I think that's awesome, by the way. I think there's nothing wrong with that. But like, yeah, I don't think it really sells copies. Honestly, yeah, like word like of mouth. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth to me is is like golden. Um, if you can get people to like talk about your book or like, you know, like or that's that's to me is, you know, it's better than you being like, here's a TikTok of me unboxing my... <laughs> galleys and i'll do the tiktok dance you know like that none of that helps but if people are like oh man i love this book i genuinely you know that's how i find books and i know that's how a lot of people find books is just people talking about them so yeah same i need more than reviews how do you make a tiktok who holds the phone (laughs) i know that's so true i don't know you gotta have like a a tiktok husband Oh yeah, I could prop it up. Like we could prop him up against the old dog. There you go. (laughs) See, you can teach old dogs new trick, new ticks, (laughs) new TikToks. Yeah, you just do a trazodone and then you you get going. It's fine. Lena, what was the last book that you like really rode for as not written by a friend? Like one that you were you read and you were like hand signed it to buddies or or family members or something that you were like, holy shit, you have to read this. Oh man. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, probably, uh, fight night by Miriam Towes. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Yes. That book's so good. I want to oh, be her God. friend. Lindsay is her friend. You're her friend. Oh man. I, I got to, um, do an event with her here in Chicago and I have her email address and every once in a while I email her, but, but I wouldn't say that she's like, Lindsay's my friend, but you know, no, I would, I would, I would say that <laughs> she's, she's incredibly like just awesome and nice. And, um, what a exactly genius. As, you, as, as you would expect her to be. She is such a genius. Oh, the flying yeah. Troutman's is like, if that's an ideal novel for me, like if you're if you're going to say like, what kind of book would you like to write before you're dead? It's like, I would like to write something like the flying Travelings. that, that book made, I, I just, yeah, she's the best. What a brilliant and her, her books are so saturated in grieving mm-hmm. and sorrow. And I, you know, a lot of it pulled from her actual life, but, right. but I never think of her like that. I no, think, I think of, of her, her as funny, actually. Yeah. Really funny. And, um, and just like, so human, just, mm-hmm. The most human there was I that um in fight night I had a moment where I was laughing and crying at the same time and it came to a head 
that into like pure euphoria, euphoria. And I've never experienced that before reading. Um, oh. And, and I, you know, that's just Miriam Tabe. She just does it. She just does it. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Wait, how do you really pronounce her last name? I like, Tabes. 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 That's way different. You're not a hockey fan. No. Yeah. My husband is though. So he probably knew. Yeah. There's like a million but, Taves in the NHL. That's the only yeah. reason I said that. Yeah. But he's not so much of a literature fan. So the crossover was. <laughs> you can help each other. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Wait, no, we got to, I have to ask you that. Ask me what, what was the last book I wrote? Yeah, that for? wasn't, that wasn't written by a friend and maybe that we haven't had on the show that you were like, oh my God. Okay. This is such a good question. I hold on. I have to, I, um, I'm in this manic reading thing. I like, I, uh, I was explaining this to someone that I, I read, I have to read like a book a week for the, for the show. Um, but then I try to fit in other books as I go and it's turned me into someone who reads really fast. And it's, I, I, I wish I could, I need to slow down. Cause it's, uh, man, that's a good question. Um, like a weird problem to have where you're like i'm reading too fast I'm reading- <laughs> yeah because well because yeah. i'll feel like, too fast I, I feel my eyes like dragging over instead oh of God. you know what i'm saying i'm like yeah i get it 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 I get, oh i know what it is it's vladimir by julia may jonas oh people love this book I haven't that read it book yet. is incredible oh, and especially yeah, as writers um I, we you should read it because yeah. it is from the very first sentence it is like holy shit i'm i'm there with you wow i love any book that's from the point of view of an older woman um Hmm. as this one is so yeah awesome so smart and sharp every single word is perfect that's it that's the one but there's so many books i've read and loved that we talk to people um on the show i was gonna cheat say that my answer is Eric, the Eric Krauss book. I, I almost still, said that, you motherfucker. I, I, well, I knew I had to steal it from you. That I, I, I gave it to my dad. I've been giving it to friends. I love that book so much. Yeah, she, she went there. Tell and me that, everything. And, and Lena's book. Of course. <laughs> Tell well, me I everything. Mean, I wasn't going to point out how rude it was to talk about other books. I know, right? Can you believe how fucking rude this guy is? <laughs> Yeah, I listened to the Erica Krauss interview and it's on my to, to read list. There you go. To read list because of, yeah, it was such a good interview. Nice. She, okay. yeah, she's such an <laughs> amazing writer that it's, it is what it is, but it's also just like very literary and beautiful. Um, so yeah, read it. I'm gonna, it's gonna happen. Lena, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Yeah, thanks, Lena. Congratulations on fire season and on your upcoming collection. We are so excited. Um, I know I said this at the top of the show, but I I loved fire season. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Like, I, I was like, <laughs> how dare she? You know, like, oh, I can't believe it. I was so just in awe. Um, I think in my, I, I, I did end up blurbing it. Um, yeah, I you did. I, well, you didn't to, say how dare she in your blurb, which I kind of wish it's not how too late. Dare she? I was in this phase at that moment in my blurbing life where I wanted to be like, um, I wanted to be helpful to readers. So I was like, I should say, like, I should say, like, if you love this author, and so I was like, if you love Patrick DeWitt, which I fucking love Patrick DeWitt, and this me book too. made me think of his his work. Huge um, compliment, yeah. So if you like Patrick DeWitt, 
you'll love Lena Crow <laughs> and Fire Season. And fingers crossed that your option gets renewed. Thanks. Yeah, it'd be it'd be nice. Um, keep uh, keep living off that option money. Hell yeah! Keep it going. Hell yeah! Get that money. Keep it rolling on down the road. <laughs> mm-hmm. Somebody's got to pay for preschool. Oh, oh God. I am so, I don't know how I, cause I <laughs> listen, I don't drink. I never drink. And I had some wine last night, Ben and I went out and uh-huh. I went to bed at 11 and that's, that's a hundred percent more wine than I usually drink in a night. And that is two hours later than I usually go to bed and I mm-hmm. am hurting. I've been drinking steadily since five. Oh my God. I don't know how I you have do it. Two beers in front of me right now. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I, it's just different. It's just different. I used to, you know, we used to, I think it's probably just when you hit 40. I knew you were going to fucking say that. No, I've heard it before. And I don't want to, I hate, I hate when people say stuff like that, but that's got to be what it is. Cause you I think I was physically in pain. I was so tired today, but it's like my you, kids were up in the fives and then like, you know, we were living our lives. We were at some playground and it was like 10 20. And I was like, I have to do a podcast in nine hours. And I've been awake for five hours. I was like, I am going to lay down and die. I am so tired. <laughs> oh my God. It's rough, man. Yeah. And I, I keep, you know, I, I, parents of older kids are like, Oh, one day that you won't be able to wake them up. They'll be sleeping in. And it's like, yeah. Okay. When? <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my God. I, if both the girls slept through the night, and both of them were in school for any amount of time. I just feel like it would be like winning the fucking lottery. <laughs> like I can't, I can't legitimately. It. Right. Of course. Uh, but one oh day God. it will be true. One day it will be true. I know. I don't it's know. It's so funny. Yeah. I, I don't, don't know. know. I, uh, we were watching the uh, Olsen twins classic. It takes two earlier. Oh. And I realized that I hate Steve Gutenberg. <gasps> I think he is what? garbage. I think he's a terrible actor. And <laughs> I think he's trash. And oh. I was wondering, and I have a couple other actors like this where I just see them and I'm like, how does this person have a career? They're fucking suck. <laughs> I was wondering if you have someone like that where you see him in a movie and you're like, fuck no. Like this is, I'm out. Okay. That's a great question. The first thing I have to say is I don't have that feeling about Steve Gutenberg because first of all, I, I love three men and a baby and three men and a little lady. I love those movies, fun movies. And there was this movie that used to come on all the time. I don't even know what channel it was on. And it was called don't tell her it's me. And he doesn't know that one. You shouldn't because (laughs) it's garbage, but he played this guy who pretended to be this like biker guy to attract a character played by world's hottest Jamie Gertz (laughs) and love Jamie Gertz. And it is, I mean, I guess I haven't seen it since I was, I don't know, 12 or something, but we used to watch it constantly and I loved him in it. And it was, it was like the pinnacle of romance. He played a character named Lobo. (laughs) You remember the character name? That was his, that was the character he was pretending to be Lobo. His name was Gus. 
Shelly Long is in it. Okay. God, hello, Jamie Gertz. I did not know who that is, but she is a. She's smoking, man. Less than zero. Smoking up from Chicago. She's um, she's the best. More Jamie Gertz in my life. Don't tell her it's me, please. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, reach out. I can't be alone. Please reach out. I'm gonna uh, text my brother and sister so we can talk about it because uh, we would watch it every time it was on. So okay, so no, I like Steve Gutenberg. Okay, fair. <sighs> who who do I see that I just can't fucking stand? Um, do you want to hear my other one to maybe spur you on? Please, Matthew Modine. Oh. <gasps> Did you ever watch Vision Quest? Yeah, of course. He sucks. Vision Quest is so good. Yeah, he is so bad in every movie. Every movie that he's in, I'm just like, might as well be a fucking first day, I don't know, nine-year-old doing this. I just don't like him. He's got a dumb face. Dumb face, okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm meaner than you. Maybe I'm meaner than you. No, no. I know there's someone like that for me. I just can't. I can't think of who it is. I who's your favorite? My favorite actor? Yeah. Oh, Jack Nicholson. Come on. Really? Oh, without a doubt. He's not just like playing a persona. Don't care. He's the best. Oh, okay. I just love him. I love Jack Nicholson. I I, I just feel like he's so uh, he's great. He's charismatic. He's funny. He's a Matthew, treasure. I don't know Matthew Modine. I just look at him and I'm like. I don't know, dude. What are you going to do? Like have a salad for lunch? Like, <laughs> see, I would, I would think that about Ed Bigley Jr. Okay. Great answer. But I, I do think like, ex- but I, I love him. I, yeah, I don't he's know. He's pretty funny. He's pretty yeah. funny. I don't know. I don't know who it could be that I would just be like, no. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I thought of this. I just was like watching this fucking Olsen twins movie. And I was like, I got to talk shit about Steve Gutenberg today. It's fair. It's fair. I will say that I don't understand the Channing Tatum thing. Mm. I don't hate him, but I don't, I don't get I mean, Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Wow. Love. I don't care. I don't care. I, uh, I think that's a great answer. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. It's not that I hate him. I just don't care. Just not your thing. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. Yeah. And I try because I like, I wanted to love the Claire Danes, Romeo, Romeo and Juliet. Sure. As a long time Claire Dane stan. And I was just like, man, I don't have real. She's so good in that though. She's good in everything. She's amazing. I know. Love her. Okay. So fuck Steve Gutenberg <laughs> and fuck Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. That's our message. Claire Dane's forever. Claire Dane's absolutely forever. Yeah. God. All right. We did it. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.